Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. We'll be there in just a moment. I know many of you are here, or some of your families are here for the kindergarten uh, program following services. We're glad you've joined us this evening for that. Uh, let me mention prayer pals. We talked about that this morning. And some of you weren't here this morning, so let me remind you that this is Back to School Sunday. We're looking for prayer pals. We're looking for lots of prayer pals this year, so the box is out where it always is. Uh, if you're new and don't know what prayer pals is, ask somebody and we'll explain it to you. Uh, great program, and we got a lot of kids waiting to have a prayer pal assigned, so get that done quickly. And uh, tonight we're a little out of order on Sunday evening, Sunday morning. Uh, we've been working on Sunday mornings on a theme called Living by the Book. And this series that we're working on right now is Kingdom Living by the Book. We've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount for a number of weeks uh, because of back school Sunday and the end of the summer and a few things to get everything in I wanted. We had to put one in tonight, so we're going to... Do number nine tonight, number ten next Sunday morning, and we'll be done with the, our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We started in Matthew chapter six, verse thirty-three, where Jesus said, "Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness." So we looked at the kingdom, and then we looked at what kingdom righteousness is, and we've been looking at that for a number of weeks. And if I had to sum it all up in one word, I'd say different. Uh, kingdom righteousness is different than man, than religious people, than Pharisees, than uh, all kinds of folks think of righteousness. Kingdom righteousness is different in giving and in praying and forgiving and telling the truth uh, and what treasures, what we, things we treasure. Uh, everything is different in the kingdom. And we've looked at a number of those topics uh, today we get to the one called Love Your Enemies, is the title I gave it. And we're actually going to roll together a couple of teachings and see if we can get a single point out of it from a couple of things that Jesus said. <clears throat> uh, we've been picking a verse each week to focus on. Uh, we picked two this week. So our first verse is Matthew 5.39. Jesus said, Do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the other one also. Very familiar passage. The second verse, Matthew 5, 44, Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, taken together, those two verses, we'd have to admit are odd. Uh, not just different from the world, but even odd to our kingdom way of thinking. Don't resist an evil person. Love enemies. Now, that just sounds too much almost, doesn't it? Let's read the whole passage, and then we'll go back and see if we can understand it. The passage starts in verse 38 of Matthew 5. Jesus said, you've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. 
Uh, You've heard it was said, love your enemy and hate your enemy. But I tell you, uh, did I read that wrong? Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and soon to reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right, that's the whole passage. Now, then we're not going to go into it in huge detail here because of time restrictions, but see if we can get the, the, the drift of it. Uh, to understand it, we keep saying you've got to go back to the context, and the key is in the first thing Jesus said in both passages. He said, you have heard. Okay, So Jesus started with that. You have heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, let's make sure we understand what they heard when they heard him say that. That's what they were used to. That's what the Pharisees taught them was righteousness. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, even up, get even, somebody hurts you, you get to hurt them the same way. That's the way justice works. Now, there's a lot of verses that say that, a lot of passages in the Old Testament that say that specifically. Exodus 21 not only says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, it says a hand for a hand and a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, and a bruise for a bruise. Yeah? So everything's even up. It's the way we used to do it at our house. Me and my two sons used to pop towels at each other a lot. And you could bruise somebody pretty good. Well, if you got a good bruise, you had one coming. You had to go get that other guy back. Yeah, that, that's in the law, bruise for a bruise. Yeah. Leviticus 24 has that list, plus it adds fracture for fracture. Pretty down to earth. Uh, Deuteronomy 19.21 says the same thing. What the Old Testament meant and what the Pharisees taught were two different things, as usual. But what the Old Testament meant was here's a basis for justice. When the rulers, when the judges, when the the elders of the tribe get together to decide punishment, here's the rule. It's got to be even. That keeps you from having too much punishment. It's actually a limit on punishment. Don't punish someone more than what they've done to somebody else, but make it even. And God's laws were fair in that way. So that's what the law meant. But the Pharisees had made it, well, they'd made it really mandatory. That's the way people thought about it. If somebody hurts me in some way, if somebody hurts my eye, I'm going to get his eye. I'm going to be even about this. So Jesus starts there and he says, now you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, it's different in the kingdom. And the four examples he gives are they're kind of confusing because we don't know the culture of that day. I'll try to help a little bit here. He said, first of all, if somebody uh, hits you on the right cheek, turn the left cheek to them. Now, 
mostly slaves in that day, and there were a lot of slaves. A lot of them were Christians. Slaves could be hit at any time because the masters owned them completely. Okay? And that was a common punishment. If a slave did something wrong, uh, the master would hit him on the right cheek with the back of his right hand. Uh, supposedly there's something wrong with hitting with the left hand, so they would hit with the right. And Jesus said, if somebody does it, turn the other cheek to them. Then he says, if somebody sues you for your coat, or a tu- the, what's he say, coat, then tunic, give him the other one too. They had two garments, basically, and the inner and an outer. And the outer coat, by law, in the Old Testament, you can go back and find it, you could take it as security for a loan, but you had to give it back to them at night because that's what kept them warm. Okay? So there were laws about that, and you could use one garment for security for a loan and keep it, and the other one you couldn't. And so Jesus takes that law and says, if somebody sues you for one, give him the other one too. I'm sure the crowd was scratching their head about this time. Well, what's he talking about? Then he says, if somebody imposes on you, somebody requires you to walk a mile with them, go another mile. Well, that was a Roman occupation thing that Jesus was familiar with. Uh, The Romans could call any resident of the country over and say, carry my pack for a mile. And the law limited it to a mile so they wouldn't abuse it, but they could get help anytime they wanted so if I was a Roman and walked in here, I could command anybody that was in the citizenship to come carry this for me. And Jesus said, if they impose on you to walk a mile, offer to go too. And then the last one, he says, you loan money to people that ask for it. Okay? So those are four kind of odd And we'll try to come back and understand those in just a little while. But that's the first one, the comparison of how we act in the kingdom to an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth mentality. Now, before our second verse, Jesus says the same thing again. You have heard. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. We've got to check that one out. Leviticus 19, verse 18. I'll check it for you, or you can check it too. Leviticus 19.18 says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people. The Pharisees looked at that said, Okay, I got it. I know who my neighbors are. They're my people. I won't be mean to them. I'll love them. I'll try to treat them right. But to a Pharisee, that assumed, or or that implied, rather, that you could hate your neighbor. I mean, your enemy. You, you, this is hard to keep all these straight because Jesus messed it up. He said it backwards. That's what confuses me. Anyway, the, the Pharisees said it says love your neighbor. So that implies you can hate your enemy. Whoever isn't your neighbor, who isn't my people, then I can hate them. It was a license to hate, and that's what the Pharisees did. They 
<laughs> they were pretty serious about all that. They had all sorts of maxims and, and, and sayings about that. One was, love the sons of light, but hate the sons of darkness. Okay? If they were your people, if they were sons of the light, you could love them. But if they were sons of the darkness, you could hate them. One of their maxims the Pharisees had was, if a Jew sees a Gentile fallen into the sea, let him by no means lift him out of there. This man is not thy neighbor, let him drown. That's why very few Pharisees were hired as lifeguards. (laughs) Actually, it is why James and John thought like they did. Remember the story in Luke 9? Jesus trying to go through Samaria. He said, checking that town, we're going to this town up here. We're on our way to Jerusalem. And the town of Samaritans said, no, we don't want you to come through here. If you're going to Jerusalem, we don't want you anywhere close. And you know what James and John said? Oh, oh, oh Jesus. Let's, let us call down fire. Let's take care of these Samaritans. Okay, see, they grew up understanding this. You love your neighbors. You love your people. But it's okay to hate your enemies. And Jesus rebuked them and told them, no, we're not going to do that this way. So understand that it wasn't God's will to hate your enemy. That was the Pharisees' interpretation. Now, I know God commanded war against the the pagans and, and... I think that's the only holy war that's ever been fought, but God demanded it. But you read the Old Testament, there's nothing in there really about hating enemies and regular foreigners and all of that. In fact, you were supposed to be kind to them. There are lots of laws about leaving grain for the foreigners that are traveling through. And they get to observe the Sabbath also. And one says if your enemy or your a foreigner's donkey, even an enemy's donkey, falls in a ditch, you help get him out. You don't, you don't hate enemies. You be kind to them. Yeah. But that was the standard of teaching that they were used to. You have heard. You have heard an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You have heard love your neighbors and and hate your enemies. Now, none of that is a bit surprising. It shouldn't shock any of us. I mean, number one, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount for quite a while, so it shouldn't shock us because of that. But the main reason it shouldn't shock us is because their culture was based on simple human nature. That's where this came from. This is world thinking, not kingdom thinking. You know what the natural plan is. When you get hurt, what's the natural plan? Hurt them back. And preferably hurt them back harder. Okay. Now, some of you may have forgotten that. Those of you without children have forgotten that's the way it works. But you watch a couple of kids... Brother and sister, well, not yours, I know yours are perfect, but you watch other people's kids. And that's the way it works. One of them gets a shot in, somehow, maybe even accidentally, and what's the other one do? (laughs) Take this, bam, just a little bit harder. And then the first one reacts, well, here, take that, a little bit harder. 
or pinch just a little bit harder. And it keeps going until mom or dad comes in. And then what do both of them do? Her fault. You know, she started it. Wasn't me. That's human nature. You, you, you hurt them back, and you hurt them back a little bit harder. Okay? So that's just the way it is. The second part, loving neighbors. Who do humans love naturally? What's human nature? Who do we love? We love those who love us. We love those who are lovable. Okay? That's natural. That's the way it works. We love our people. Folks who are like us, that's easy to love them, especially if they're lovable. Now, sometimes we extend that down to somebody that's a little less fortunate than us. We call that compassion. Okay? So we love the less fortunate sometimes. And when I wrote that down, I thought, you know how rare it is for us to love or be concerned or have compassion for those who are more fortunate? We don't do that very often, do we? Just think about that. But the the rarest is for somebody who loves an enemy. That's really rare. That, in fact, that's a God thing. God loves his enemies. He so loved his enemies. He so loved us while we were still his enemies. Some of that may ring a bell in there in the kingdom. Okay, So that's human nature is what we're looking at here and what Jesus was saying. That's why he said, you've heard it said. Okay, Now here's the contrast. Let's go back and see if we can understand some of it. Jesus says, here's one difference between the kingdom and the world. One difference is that you don't resist, you yield. You don't resist an evil person. You yield to them. Now, I chose you yield for a reason. I think that's the best sense of what Jesus means here. Now, let me tell you a couple of things I don't think he means. Uh, first of all, I don't think Jesus means for us to be passive victims of abuse. Okay? I don't think Jesus means if somebody wants to beat on us, We just let them. Now, there are evil people in this world. There are criminal people in this world. There are cruel people in this world. Jesus told his followers when they were going out among the world, he said, get a sword. I don't think he expected them to just roll over and let any evil person do anything that they wanted them, wanted to. Uh, a little amplification on that, second point kind of, but really the same thing. I don't think what Jesus says here is a law that mandates pacifism. Now, I know and I understand how people could get there. I've got no problem with people that get there from this. Because Jesus says, don't resist an evil person. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemy. I know he says all that, but there's so much else in the Bible about 
caring for your family and defending yourself with a sword and all of those kind of things that I, I just can't get there myself. Now, I'm not telling you how to take that. You can take this as literally as you want. Okay, you can be as pacifistic as you want to be, and I, I won't have any problem with you. Okay. Uh, but I think this world is so evil that if good people don't resist it, that we won't last long. You know, there are depraved minds out there. The, the government clearly has a responsibility in Romans 13 to punish evil people. I think the government clearly from that has the right to fight just wars. Now, whether you want to participate in one or not, once again, I've got no problem if you get to the place where you're a conscientious objector because of what Jesus said here. I understand that. That's an individual thing, I think. But if you take this as a law that you can never resist anybody, that you've got to turn the cheek all the time, let them do anything they want to you and or your family, I think you go too far. And one proof of that, I think, would go to his fourth example. His fourth example trying to explain this is that if somebody asks you for money, don't tell them no. Okay, so if you make the first part of this a law, I want to see you after church because I need some money. Okay, and at that point, some of you say, "Well, now hold it now. He didn't really mean that." Okay, I did that one time in a Sunday school class a long time ago. I just kept stressing that last part. I had people so stirred up and mad it was just hilarious. You know, I said, "But he says right here." You know, lend anybody that asks and don't expect to be paid back. Well, he doesn't mean that. Well, that's what he said. And I don't think he means that in every case. Obviously, people would figure that out and you'd be broke tomorrow. What he's doing here is what he's done through this whole Sermon on the Mount is contrasting things. He's telling the kingdom citizens, that they react to the world differently than the world reacts, and they react differently than the world expects. I think that's the key part. I think that's why I picked the word yield. I read a number of different commentators about this to see what people said. One guy said, it's kind of like jujitsu, is what Jesus is advocating. Jujitsu is not fighting it's yielding to the other person. When somebody throws a punch at you, instead of resisting and fighting back, you take that punch and the energy in it, and you flow it right through, and you yield with it, and it goes past you. Okay. And he said, that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. And you think about it. When a master goes up to the Christian slave and says, why did you do that wrong? And pops him on the right cheek. If the slave says, I'm sorry, and turns the left cheek to it, what's the master do? That, that completely befuddles the worldly mind. I can't hit him again. He's taking it. You know, he's not resisting me. He's not mad at me. And there's other examples that he gives in there. 
If somebody thinks they're really suing you, getting your coat and all of that, and you say, would you like my tunic also? What do they think? When the soldier says, all right, come walk with me a mile, and you walk along whistling and happy, and you get to the end of the mile, and he says, all right, that's it. Well, could I go another mile with you? I'd be glad to. What's he think of a Christian? He sees something different. He sees that in the kingdom, people function differently. So I think that's what he means by this turning the cheek and all that, is, is don't resist them. Don't fight back. Don't, you don't have to get even. Yield to them. Do it kindly. Put up with it. Now, I think we'll... I think that's different than an evil person, a criminal person, somebody. We'll talk about that in a moment here. Now, here's the other difference that Jesus pointed out. He said, don't hate, but love. Don't hate your enemies, love your enemies. Now, everybody in here knows that he can't mean everybody in the world has got to be your best friend forever. And you've got to hang out with them and just have a great time and all that. That's impossible. Some people we just don't have anything in common with. Some people are so disgusting we don't like them. We, we shouldn't be around them for that matter. He doesn't say you've got to be around them and hang out together. He says love them. And we have so many times in the past years defined biblically uh, and what godly agape love is. Okay, It's not emotion. It's not a friendship. It's not a romantic thing. It's a decision of the will that I want the best for this other person. It doesn't depend on the other. It doesn't depend on how they act. It doesn't demand anything in return. It doesn't require us to feel love. It just requires us to act in love. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus was asked once, who's your neighbor? And he said, well, <laughs> even a Samaritan. Love your neighbor as you say. You can figure that out. I mean, all of you are sharpened to figure that out. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you treat yourself? Do you want your own happiness? Do you want the best for you? Do you want to feel well-being and have, be comfortable and, and be fulfilled in life? Think about this. Are, are we good at forgiving ourselves? Well, we're really, really, really good at forgiving ourselves, aren't we? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Okay, so that's the meaning, pretty much. Let, let's close by applying this. We've been trying to apply every lesson that we have. How do we how do, we do this? Uh, well, Jesus gave us a tip right in here. First thing he said, he said, pray for them. How do you love your enemies? How do you yield to people that aren't nice to you? Well, pray for them. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever tried it, but it's really hard to keep hating somebody when you're praying for them. Try it. That's what Jesus says right here. Just pray for them. Now, besides that tip, let me just it'll try to explain a little bit more here. Uh, I picked two things out to say about this. How do we apply it? First step... Identify the enemy. I think we often 
apply this wrong because we identify the enemy wrong. We read this and we think, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to love my enemy. I'm not going to resist evil people. And oh, brother, sister, brother so-and-so over there and sister so-and-so, uh, they don't really like me, so I'm going to try to be nice to them. That's how I'm going to do this. No, it's wrong. If they're your brother and sister in Christ, you already love them or you don't have Christ. That's scripture. Yeah, that's not what this is talking about. Brother said, you better figure out a way to love them. You better figure out a way to forgive them. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Okay, so that's not what he's talking about. And we look at that part that talks about persecution and we say, okay, I got that. My boss didn't give me that promotion. You know, my, my coworker is kind of gives me a hard time. So I'm going to be trying to be nice to them and that'll cover this. No. You are obedient and respectful to your boss and you serve him like you're serving the Lord because you're a Christian already. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't try to be nice to him, and it doesn't apply, but that's not the answer here. And I think part of the reason we don't get the answer is because we aren't really persecuted. Turn over to 1 Peter. Let's see if we can wrap this up. 1 Peter 4. First Peter 4, 12. <clears throat> Okay, Peter was talking to Christians who were being persecuted. He said, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Yeah. There's a difference between suffering for Christ and suffering for other things. Yeah. The world just operates, or they, they, they pick on us a little bit. But Peter says, if you suffer as a Christian, that's a great thing. They were looking there. He said, but not as an evildoer. Okay. Some people get picked on and suffer in this world because they've done wrong things. Yeah, that's not what we're talking about here. And then look, at he throws another one in here. He says, or even as a meddler. Some people get picked on and ostracized and persecuted to some degree because they're jerks. That's the way it works in the real world. Somebody that's an obnoxious and a problem and a meddler, people pick on them. That's the way it works. It's a worldly thing. That shouldn't be the problem for Christians. If we're persecuted, it ought to be because we are Christians. Now, we're looked down on in some ways in this society, but we ain't seen nothing yet. And we've still got it really good. And it's going to get worse. Okay, That's the way 
the world works. You read Romans 1 and it'll show you where we're heading. Okay? The way the world works is the world does evil, and every society goes through this. The world does evil, and they demand tolerance for any of their evil. But they're intolerant of anybody that says their evil is wrong. And we're, we're getting into that stage right there where they're intolerant of us saying evil is wrong. But the next step is to persecute those who are intolerant. Okay, That's where we're headed and that's when we'll have enemies. Like Jesus was talking about. Now I'm not saying don't apply it to your bad boss and everything else. You do that because you're a Christian. But when I say identify the enemy, how can we turn our other cheek when we are persecuted? How can we love them anyway? Because we identify them, we look at them, and who are these people? Our enemies, when it comes to that, are going to be people who are lost and on their way to judgment and are not ready for it. They are people who are made in the image of God. They are people who Christ died for. They are people who God loves them as much as he loves me. And when they persecute me or you because of the way the world works, what's Jesus say? Don't resist. Yield. Don't hate them. Love them. Why does he say that? Well, that's the second step. Remember that the reason we do this the reason this unnatural behavior is supposed to be done is because we're children of God. That's what Jesus says there. He says, love your, uh, yeah, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. That's what people in the kingdom do. They're different. We are told, we didn't cover that part of the sermon, but he says, you're salt and light. What better way to be salt and light? Who made the most influence in the master's house? The slave that fought back and was bitter and fought back in all the ways he could, or the slave that yielded? said, yes, master, I'm sorry, I'll do better next time. Salt and light, that's different than darkness. It's, It's... Different than the normal without the salt. That's why we do this. Because we're children of God. Think about it. If God hadn't loved his enemies, you wouldn't be here. He would have ended this whole mess a long time ago. But he loves you. And he's being patient with all of his enemies. Hoping they'll come to repentance. All right. I hope today's lesson... Uh, What I really hope it does is further illuminates the kingdom and how different it is to live in the kingdom than to live in the world. Well, just think differently about everything, including who's our enemies and those who are evil to us in any way. Uh, Next week, Sunday morning, we're going to talk about which road, which road. Jesus says there's a narrow road, a broad road, and you Better pick the right one. So we'll finish with that one. Lesson is yours this evening. If you're here and need to respond to the Lord's invitation in any way, we'd be happy to help you. Uh, Let's stand and sing a song. If you need to come, come.